Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Audio of the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris McShane. Um, so, when we last recorded, we had hypothesized, Chris, that it might be the end of days for Mickey Calloway. And it turns out we were correct. Mickey was relieved of his duties last week by the Mets. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it was really a surprise, nor do I think that I will be shedding any tears over Mickey Calloway anytime soon. But let's sort of rehash the events. Um, do you think that this was an expected move? Slash, do you think that this was the right move? Okay, so definitely the right move. And last episode, I said I gave it a 60-40 chance you know, yeah. that they would do it. <laughs> um, in part because I they're the Mets. I could see them making the wrong decision. Uh, so I said that, and then like two hours after we published it, they fired him. So, <laughs> uh, but even in in that context, uh, I I guess I thought it was more likely than not. So uh, certainly wasn't shocking news that they did it. And I, when it it's funny as a fan when it gets down to that point of okay, the guy is actually getting fired, you kind of naturally can go back and question like, well, wait, uh, was, was it really that bad? You know, maybe have second thoughts. Uh, so even going through that process, 
to me, you, you get back to that conclusion of remember all the games he watched. Remember <laughs> yeah. the moves he made. Remember his uh, explanations for things. And remember that he just wasn't good at that job. It it doesn't mean that he doesn't know anything about baseball. It doesn't mean that he wasn't a good pitching coach in Cleveland. Uh, it, it, it doesn't mean that he doesn't have I don't know if another managerial job will be out there for him at any point but he's a guy who can be in the organization and uh, an organization I should say and provide something but that role clearly wasn't a fit for him uh the Mets made the right move I I don't want to say you couldn't get worse because I'm sure you could but Given the reality of, of who's out there and everything else, I really don't think the Mets are going to downgrade a manager after getting rid of uh, of Callaway. So it would take a lot to downgrade a manager. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, I and I remember asking the question, I think on the Amazing Avenue account, at some point after some ridiculous explanation that he gave. Uh, like, what is Mickey Calloway worse at, managing or talking about managing? And <laughs> when you can legitimately have that thought, that's not a good thing. Because as much as I think the New York sports beat can sort of hype itself up and talk about how difficult it is to play or manage in New York because of the the number of outlets that cover the teams and and all that stuff, and I think a lot of that's really overrated. Uh, I do think you have to account for that being part of a job, especially with a manager who is scheduled to do it every day, um, 162 times a year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that this is both, it was both the expected move and the right move. It's about time. I agree that it probably was the wrong move to do it during the season, because I don't think a managerial change could have could have changed the Mets lots in 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 how the season was going to go, unless they did it the day after the Vargas incident. That's the only time during the season I think it, it would have made sense for them. Um, but they didn't do it then, and so they might as well wait till the end of the season. And this was fine, and uh, they gave him the dignity, I suppose, of being able to collect a win. And then go home and feel good about himself that night, instead of saying, instead of calling him into the office after the game and saying, you know, this is over. Um, but it was it was a had to happen, and uh, yeah, I, I think we can all point to two or three times when he did something that was so patently ridiculous you felt like you were in the twilight zone, right? And I just hope that the next manager gives us fewer moments of that. Yeah, and I think a good indicator on that is that I, I would say that Gary, Keith, and Ron, and uh, the memory um, that comes to mind is specifically Gary. They're not homers. I think they do a good job of being objective. But in in that effort, I think they tend to not not overreact to things. And there were moves that Callaway made or didn't make that Gary would get incensed 
during a game as it's happening. And, and to me, that's just kind of like, I'm not saying that Gary Cohen should be making every decision about what happens in the dugout, but <laughs> right. But he, he's watched decades of Mets baseball uh, and plenty of other baseball along the way. He's, he's an outside observer who's inside, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, and just some of his reactions and the ones that stand out to me were when Callaway would, uh, make a move and then not realize that somebody hadn't been announced into the game and then try to rationalize that after the game, those things where it was just, as they were happening, Gary is strongly questioning them in real time uh, before you even see how it works out. And, and, and that to me, that that's sort of a lasting memory. It, it's, this is not the manager you want when things are on the line. And unless the Mets drastically change how they approach off seasons, this team will probably go into next season. They've got a lot of good pieces, but they're probably going to go into it with a projection of 86 to 89 wins. And that's a team that could end up exactly where they were this year. That's a team that could end up at 95. But if you're going to play that game of, being just good enough to contend, you can't afford tactical mistakes during games. I was talking with a, a friend of mine the other day, and I forget where I read this, but a couple of years ago I read that the average manager only gains or loses something like three wins for a team. Does that sound accurate? Uh, sure, yeah. It, there I was... know it's something that, like, the baseball community in general has struggled to quantify, but yeah, that sounds conventional yeah, based I, on everything that everybody knows. I had heard that it, like three is an extreme swing in one direction or the other, right? So even on the best of scenarios where you think if you had a bad manager who lost you three games in the season and then you went to a great manager who won you three games a season, you have a six-win sweep there a swoop right from from low to high i don't know if the mets whoever they manage are going to get six wins out of the manager's chair for a season but i think that the two things that will definitely be improved upon without callaway will be some sort of responsibility for his decisions whoever the manager is um just you know there's nothing wrong with the manager saying I went with my gut and it was the wrong thing to do. Absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that. And he never once said that. Yeah, no. It, in times like these, it's kind mm -hmm. of refreshing if somebody can admit that they made a mistake. Absolutely. And they're going to try to improve on it. And he, he just never would do that. I I don't know that every other candidate out there would, who, who could be the next manager of the team. But... Um, but it was just not in his vocabulary to say, hey, I did that. Could have gone better. I could have made a better decision, and I'm going to learn from it. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that was so disappointing with him was that he he had this approach when he was uh, when he was hired of sounding like, oh, he's, he's young for a manager. 
his his press conferences were refreshing. I don't know. I'm not saying after every game say, oh yeah, I really sucked. But when when there's an egregiously bad move, or if something just blew up, uh, I thought one thing that Terry Collins was really good at was trying to take the heat. And I didn't think, and I know Collins didn't do that every single time, but overall, I thought he would be much more likely to to do that. And I don't think Callaway threw players under the bus specifically too frequently, although it did happen at times. Uh, but yeah, just a little more, somebody a little more humble, somebody who can say, here's the reason I did this. Here's the reason I made this mistake. And you know what? I'm going to do better next time. And, and we're going to do better next time. Even once or twice over the course of two years. It would have been nice to hear that. Yeah. The other thing that I think a new manager will improve upon is um, just the... I'm trying to phrase this in a way that will make sense. It's not just the accountability. It's that there will be, I hope, a a clearer process that we can follow as fans. I'm not saying the manager has to give away all of his moves, right? He, you know, there has to be some sort of secrecy to what to what a manager does, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> but it it just seems to me like. Callaway would do things that you you couldn't necessarily follow the plot to see how he got there. And if you're going to be so surprising with your moves, the moves have to work, right? If you do something brash and radical and it's a success, great. People are happy. But if you're doing things brash and radical one day and then super conservative the next day and then insisting on bunting the next day and then, you know, it just it just felt like there was never a... There was never a clear pattern as to what he thought was the right thing to do in a situation. He didn't have a two-strike approach for his hitters. He didn't have a, an approach with his pitchers when it came to bunts. He didn't have – just there, there wasn't any consistency there. Yeah. And I would really like whoever's the next manager to have some sort of consistency with their team. Yeah, that would be nice. Even if it's frustrating consistency. Right. Well, yeah, where you at least feel like it's not, I don't know, spinning a wheel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Coming up with a decision. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the um, some of the managerial candidates that are out there. Um, we had a piece go up on Amazing Avenue uh, this week by uh, by Dave talking about the various names that have been thrown out there. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to go through, I'm going to use his categories here, and then I'm going to ask you if one guy stands out to you from that category. Does that sound like a good plan to go with here? Sure, yeah. I, All right, yeah, so. I've got the list. Okay, of the <laughs> of the big names, we have Joe Girardi, Clint Hurdle, Joe Madden, Buck Walter, Dusty Baker, and Mike Matheny. I have two in, of that list. I have two I definitely don't want. One I two I would be okay with. And then uh two I have no real opinion on. 
Mm, yeah. How does that? How do they break down for you? Who are the guys you're excited about from that list? Uh well, Matheny and Madden, I don't want. I, I don't know if those are the same two. Matheny and Baker, I don't want. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Baker has been an interesting case where I felt like he was mocked for a long time by like the smart baseball internet, and then all of a sudden, everybody was totally in love with him. Yeah. Um. I think the reality is probably somewhere in between those two things, but, but yeah, he, he's still not as off putting Matheny with the way things ended with the Cardinals. Uh, like, no, thanks Madden. I think he's kind of run his course, uh, the way he approached certain things in, in Chicago, whether it was Addison Russell or just strictly the managerial side, regardless of, of, anything else about the players he was managing. Um, so yeah, those two, not so much. And then Baker and Showalter, maybe hurdle, I guess I'm indifferent on. And then Girardi, I know he's, he's the big name of all of them. I mean, I, I guess if you just assume that Madden is going to end up with the angels, then that kind of doesn't even put him in this mix. So Girardi seems like the big name. He managed the Yankees for almost a decade. He still lives around here. Um, he won a World Series as a manager. You know, it, there's he's got his credentials, but I, I honestly don't know what to make of him as a manager because I've talked to people who love baseball and watch a lot of it, and the, uh, the range of opinions on him is literally from – the best manager there is to the worst manager in all of baseball. <laughs> and I didn't pay close enough attention to the Yankees over the time that he managed them. I, I wasn't watching them every night. Uh, I know some of the things that he was known for, but I don't have a strong opinion on him yet myself, but I think it's sort of interesting that, uh, that people could come away from watching him and, and have those very, very different opinions. So I had, I had reached out on, uh, on Sunday, I ran into a friend of mine who was a big Yankee fan and I asked him his thoughts on Girardi as manager. And I meant to text my friend, Anthony, Anthony, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I didn't text you before the show. It's been a busy week. Um, but my friend, Michael told me that his two enduring memories of Girardi as a manager were not knowing when to pull his starters and letting his starters in, um, letting his starters just stay in way too long, and that's a bad thing for a manager. But that's not as bad as being Mickey Calloway with a bullpen. <laughs> so, uh, and I was think the Mets starters are good enough that it may be okay to leave them in longer than you would for other teams. So if if that's the big no no, that's you know that's not the worst thing I've heard today about a manager. The other thing they said was that the last couple of years when replay became something that he was terrible about challenging for replays. He would challenge on the wrong things and not challenge on the wrong things. And I, I said, well, that's really more the video people's bad than his bad, I would say. Yeah. Um, But I'd be okay with him, I think. Um, Oh, yeah, I think I would, too. I... Yeah. I would have my own opinion within a month, but <laughs> yes, 
And then the guy that kind of sort of confuses me a bit here is Clint Hurdle because Pittsburgh's been such a nightmare the last season or two. But Clint Hurdle a couple of times has taken teams with much less talent than the Mets have to the playoffs. And sometimes that's luck, and sometimes that's, you know, just insert baseball euphemism here, whatever, you know. But I do think that there's something to be said for for sort of for, for the success he's had with, with with teams that aren't superstar teams. Like, you know, Joe Madden taking that Cubs team to the World Series isn't that impressive. Right, yeah, yeah, um, I get it. And so, you know, that's that intrigues me slightly. Um, Dusty Baker just left a bad taste in my mouth. I watched too many games, him manage against the Mets, and for whatever reason, he always bugged me. Um, it's not really a scientific reason for not wanting him. Um, I think Buck Showalter could be interesting, but I don't know if he's necessarily... First of all, I don't think the Wilpons will hire him because I think he has a reputation for being his own man. Yeah. And so that's that's part of the problem. But also, I don't know... I don't... I don't know if he and uh, Brody would necessarily be the best working together either. I get the impression they're very different people. Yeah, I could see that. Not that, that I mean, if I didn't see Girardi manage a ton, I certainly didn't see Showalter manage a ton with the Orioles, but from the reputations they have and the things that you do see, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next column here, which are um, the less experienced candidates. We got Joe Espada, who is the bench coach for the uh, Astros currently. Luis Rojas, who is, uh, I believe this year, the Binghamton Mets manager. Uh, Tony DeFrancesco, who is the Mets AAA manager. Any of those particularly exciting to you? Um, no, and not not in a they're not particularly unexciting either, kind of way. So I don't I don't mean any disrespect to anybody here, but nothing jumping off the page uh, for me. Joe Espada is um, somewhat interesting just because the the Astros have been a very interesting team to watch the last few years. And they seem to be a team that does process very well. And so if they trust him to be the bench coach, that's probably a good sign. But I don't know if you... I watch 
probably I watch or listen to probably 140 Mets games a year. I cannot tell you if Jim Riggleman was a good bench coach or not. <laughs> you know, there's almost no way to judge that. Yeah. So I, I, I'm talking on my ass anything I say about Espada. Um, and my only thought on Rojas or De Francesco is if they were that hot on those guys, they would have fired Callaway midseason and promoted one of them. Yeah, that's true. That that could have been the way to go. Or that... or kept Callaway for the start of the season, knowing as soon as he fucks up, one of these guys is taking over. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, we now have a category of three familiar faces: uh, Joe McEwing, Manny Acta, and Robin Ventura. Please, not Robin Ventura. Yeah, totally agreed. Loved his time as a player as a Met. Absolutely. Uh, but he oversaw the shit show of the White Sox clubhouse. They didn't win. They had the. <laughs> Oh God! What was this, the the kid's name? I don't want to insult the kid. Um, oh, the former national who was out there, Adam something, and his son. Oh, I should know this. They credited him for either Sale or somebody else referred to the kid as like a leader in the clubhouse after, uh, <laughs> after after they Adam parted LaRoche. ways. Yes, Laroche. Yes, and it was Hunter or Duke or uh, some name like that, LaRoche. Uh, yeah, so yeah, no interest in that. And then many act, I feel like Drake. Was... Drake was the kid. Oh, okay. I I think Hunter and Duke. Duke was closer, but I think those are <laughs> n- names that fit in with. I think if you add Hunter and Duke together, you get Drake. So that works. Uh, I'll take it. But <laughs> but yeah, many many act. I don't know. I, I it might be like managerial candidate fatigue to borrow from prospect fatigue as a concept. <laughs> sure. Where it's just like, okay, uh he's he's been around maybe as a guy for the job for a long time and it just hasn't happened and there's no reason for me to specifically hold anything against him. Um but I don't know. The years he has managed, it's not like he's done anything particularly great. But again, it's always hard to judge. It's so much more about the roster that you have and then using it correctly. If I guess in the effort to manage the same, or to, sorry, to evaluate managers, the only way you could do it in like a scientific experiment sense would be to have every one of them manage the same roster mm-hmm. over the course of the same season right? <laughs> and see who came out on top. Obviously, that's not physically possible. Um, Yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know you know what would be... It, it, this might be a galaxy brain idea. I'm pretty sure it is. Well, let's, but, let's, let's uh, see it. Come on. Instead of interviews, mm-hmm. have all the managers manage the same team against itself in like... MLB the show over the course Ooh. of a season. Yeah. Give them give them each a PlayStation 4 and say, come back to us in a month. Yeah. Yeah. Here you go. You're all using the same settings, the same rules, same roster. You don't, no gameplay. You're not controlling anything. You're, you're not hitting buttons to make plays happen. It's just the simulation runs and you are, you are in charge of the team and you can make decisions on 
who's in the game when and what the lineup is and all that stuff and uh, and come back to us. And honestly, I feel like that might be better than the process that some teams <laughs> use to find a manager. I do not disagree with that. That is a good idea. Um, I will also say I know nothing about Joe McEwing as a manager. I always loved him as a player. And uh, sure, why not? Give him an interview. Yeah, I, again, we're in sort of unknown. It's funny that the familiar faces are like the least known quantities, except Ventura, who's yes. known. All right, last last category here, the out-of-the-box possibilities. David Cohn, Carlos Beltran, Edgardo Alfonso, Mark DeRosa, Al Leiter, John Franco, David Wright, Cliff Floyd, or any other former player, or Jessica Mendoza. Or sorry, or Terry Collins. God help us, not Terry Collins. <laughs> Love you, Terry, but we're good. The obvious answer here for me is Beltron because Same. one, I think he'd actually be good. Uh, he's bilingual, and some of the other guys we've mentioned are too. So, mm-hmm. to their credit, they are. But uh, but Beltron is he is a very smart. Uh, well, he was a very smart player, and I think that showed in how easy he made it look to play the game. Uh, and I'm biased. There's still a Beltron jersey somewhere in my closet. Um, I love the guy, and he was fantastic for the Mets. He's one of the best position players in Mets history. He's actually interested in managing uh, to some extent right now. He's publicly acknowledged that he's open to doing it, whereas... Uh, Somebody like Keith is happy not to manage. Right. So, yeah. So all that stuff, all the positive qualities of him. I like the idea. That this is just sort of like a romantic fan idea of, of uh, like, rebuilding the relationship that the Wilpons shed all over when mm. Beltran's time was up as a Met. Um, and I like all that. But most importantly... And admittedly, this may not be as objective as my PlayStation strategy, but <laughs> I just want the awful Mets fans who can't think of him as anything other than the guy who struck out against Adam Wainwright to lose their mind that he's managing their team now. I can't wait for the hashtag blame Beltran to come back, unironically. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll still be ironic, but... Yeah, we will be ironic, yes, but other people will not be. Right. I guess we'll have to figure out a way to differentiate if that comes to fruition. How, <laughs> like, which which hashtag blame Beltron is is real and which one is like, oh wait, no, you know, we're, we're clearly mocking you all. Um, yeah. Well, like I I have some Yankee fan friends who they claim it's not them, but they know people who truly believe that Dom Mattingly's presence on the Yankees makes them impossible to win a World Series. They will point to both the fact that, you know, the only droughts since he was a Yankee, it's the only like real droughts in Yankee championships come from when he was playing as a Yankee or he was uh, on the coaching staff for the Yankees. And so uh, I have, I know some guys who basically were rooting very, very hard for him to be fired because they wanted the Yankees to go to the world series again. Which is just a crazy thing to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there are people who probably feel that way about Beltran, too. Oh, I'm sure. 
Um, and then with these other guys, Fonzie's great. He's he's been managing uh, in the Mets minor league system. Uh, Cone, just from the way he talks about the game, he'd be very interesting to me. I think he's a another sharp mind. Uh, and it's funny, public perception. It, it, it's not really fair because if you're on TV all the time, and I know several of these these people are on this part of the list, but if you're on TV all the time, we can kind of get an idea of what you think and how you approach the game and all that. And if you're not, then you, it's just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, so they all stand out uh, to me. I don't think there's another form of Met on the player side, you know, if we're just going on the tangent of any other former player who who I think of and go, oh yeah, that that's the guy. Like I feel like the answer would be some, I don't know, mid two thousands catcher or something. Uh, <laughs> you could see Moises Alou managing maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But he, he's been linked to one of the other open yeah. jobs, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, let me just state for the record, I have zero interest in John Franco anywhere near the Mets. <laughs> I, cannot, oh, yeah. I cannot imagine John Franco being a very good manager for the Mets. No, no. Based on how, in my personal experience, how uh, how do I put this? <laughs> well, he was in New Haven on a on a like rehab assignment. Pitching some games for Binghamton. New Haven had a double-A affiliate at the time. And his approach to signing autographs for kids at a minor league ballpark was not the one you would want to teach to anybody. <laughs> uh, so that that that's my only personal interaction. But I'll never forget before the... I guess it was the 2010 opening day. I got off the, uh, I had taken the LARR from Penn Station and I got off the train and was walking down the, like the board, the boardwalk there, whatever it is. And I thought, that looks like John Franco standing there. And it was John Franco standing there just waiting for someone to recognize him. He was just like looking around, waiting for someone to say, hey, that's John Franco. And then talked to him about being a former Met and nobody huh. was doing it. So, sorry, Johnny. Um, yeah, is there anybody else in that list that interests me? Let's see. Um, like you said, Cone's sort of analytical mind makes me not hate that idea, though I think anytime anything goes wrong, you're going to hear people talk about what a scumbag he was when he was a young man. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that is deserved or not deserved. I'm just saying we're going to be tired of hearing about it. Whenever he, he whenever he messes something up at the bullpen, the back pages will have some sort of allusion to when he pulled his dick out in the bullpen. Yeah. So I just don't want to have to deal with that for a year or two. <laughs> the 80s, man. Exactly, yeah. Um, Jessica Mendoza is a really interesting person to talk about, but it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, I, I um that's not me saying it shouldn't happen by the way. I'm just saying it's not going to happen. Right. No. Um I I, I don't see that happening uh in this case. Um 
I think and it, there's no reason it should be the case that that's just like, oh yeah, that's just the way it is. Like, it's not about that. I, I just, I think if there's going to be an instance of baseball team hires a woman to a very prominent position, it's going to be GM or president of baseball operations kind of thing first. And I'm not even saying it's right that that's the way that it would probably go down, but I think that would that would sort of set a new standard and open things up. Um, but yeah, at, at this point in time with these Mets and everything else, uh, I don't see I don't see it happening. I concur. All right. Well, before we get out of here, let's let's do sort of one thing we definitely want the manager to do slash possess, you know, in their repertoire. So it could be, you know, bullpen management. It could be press skills. It could be whatever you think is the most important thing, Chris. What's the one thing you want the next Mets manager to definitely possess? I would just say a a firm understanding of the basic concepts of all the statistical analysis of baseball that has changed the way that everybody's looked at the game over the last 15 to 20 years and using it properly. So I'm not saying this is the most important thing, but I feel like it could help to find somebody. I don't want to hear about a hitter versus pitcher one-on-one splits. I guess I'll give the caveat that unless it's like 50 to 100 plate appearances that these guys have faced each other. But I, I don't want to hear a manager say that, oh, so-and-so's three for five against this pitcher and act like that means something statistically. Um, so that that's more like an indicator of it. But if a manager could just not do that, I would appreciate it. <laughs> and then in-game, I don't think... You never feel a manager's impact more than when it comes to pitching decisions. So bullpen management. Uh, and I, I feel like one of the ways that Callaway kind of failed was, I don't know if he specifically said this, but he sort of set an expectation that I'm here. I've been a pitching coach. I'm young. I've got this optimistic, fresh outlook. And we're going to do everything we can to make the Mets this this organization that deserves you great fans and, and all that, right? So he comes in with that approach. And you felt like, hey, this guy might really ha- be on top of things and, and have a bullpen plan. And then things would just happen. I, I don't know if it's the chaos of a season. I don't know if anybody is capable of it. But if you can give us a real reason why things are going to happen, the way, why you're going to make your decisions and why you think they're going to work, and then do that and then – you can you can rest on hey here's what we did that went into that we know it didn't work in this instance but we think it's going to work most of the time as opposed to and again this could just be met specific chaos but as opposed to oh by the way Edwin Diaz has these rules about how we're going to use them that we didn't tell you about until a month and a half into the season uh, but they exist and then a week from now we're going to do something different and then tell you that they don't exist. Like that can't be it, and I, I don't know if an, a manager alone can overcome that in the Mets organization, but yeah. So I, I guess my actual answer is the bullpen. But please stop giving me like 
splits on a guy who's seen a, a pitcher in single digit numbers of yes, times. Agreed. <laughs> um, I think for me, it's simply I want to see process, and that's what you talked about at the end there with you know just the team having a process that they stand by. I want somebody who's going to come in and say, "Listen, this is how we do things. It didn't work today. It'll probably work tomorrow." That's that's really important to me. So, and I think that's a simple. I think that's a simple request because even if you don't agree with the process, there's at least a thoughtful approach there, and we need a thoughtful approach. Um, absolute last question about this until next time we record. Do you think the Mets will have a manager in place by Halloween? No, no. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but what about I think they'll have one in place by yeah. I think well, Thanksgiving would be like sort of a pre-winter meeting deadline. Yeah, and I feel like when you're in free agency, you you want to have that manager uh, available to players that you're trying to sign and be part of conversations about the culture that they want to create with the, the Mets and, you know, uh, things that, I mean, Hey, they might know some of these players from managing past right or coaching, uh, and in previous roles with other organizations. So yeah, I think, I think they will have it in place by Thanksgiving Halloween. I don't know. Um, if only because we know the Wilpons generally don't rock the boat with MLB too much. Um, since MLB has not rocked the boat with the Wilpons. Right. Uh, so yeah, do, do you think, do you think it'll be a quicker process than I do or? Um, I think it'll be quicker because I think the people aren't going to want the job as much. Okay. Uh, so the, the candidates are going to thin out quickly. Although we should say this, we should say that Bertie Van Wagenen said that Noah Syndergaard and Edwin Diaz will be on the team next year. He did. Yeah. And so that that will make it more appealing to a manager coming in. You know, I don't think anybody wants to take that job and then find out they don't have center guard to play with for next year. Right. And to Van Wagenen's credit, uh, I would not advocate trading either of those pitchers, whether they had been their 2019 selves or, or better. So, yeah, that, that was good to hear. I know things can change and, and whatever, but it was nice to just say, Hey, the off season starting. I know you're going to all ask me about this. So I'm just going to say it. These guys are on the roster. Might've been one of my favorite Van Wagen moments so far. <laughs> same, same lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Chris. Well, in... By the time folks hear this, you will already be in California 
for the Desert Days Festival. So tell us, what is your music pick for this week, Mr. World Traveler to Music uh, Events? <laughs> ah, I, I guess that's true. Um, well, I, I'm going to leave all the bands that are playing this festival to hopefully fill my album recommendations for like the rest of the winter. <laughs> uh, but somebody who played it last year and just played a residency in New York City um, that ended on Saturday night uh, for five shows, Ty Siegel, he is fantastic. He's prolific. Um, I feel like on average he's had two albums come out a year. That may or may not be accurate, but it might be more even. Uh, but between various projects he does and then the albums that he puts out just as himself, uh, he's pretty great. And he made a record called uh, First Taste, and it came out in August, I think. And admittedly, I guess two things here. One, it didn't quite click with me right away, although there were things that I liked about it to start. Um, and two, if you've never heard him, I don't know that this is the record I would say to start with. I agreed, yeah. But uh, part of the residency that he had done here, and he did one in L.A. that was more like a traditional residency where it was a weekly show for two or three months uh, and then came to New York and, and did it five nights in a row. Um, but he played this record start to finish to start each night of these sets and then played another record and, and then played an encore that had a couple things off of other other albums. Uh, so anyway, first taste. If you don't know him, he is very heavily a guitar player and a singer and a really good songwriter um, who can write like acoustic dreamy stuff that's really good and then be heavy as anybody you've ever heard and then just rip it up on the guitar. So with all that, this record doesn't have any guitars on it. It has stringed instruments that you can solo on and, <laughs> and <laughs> might resemble guitars, but technically there are no uh, there's bass guitar, but there's there's no acoustic or electric six string guitars on the record. And seeing him and his band perform this live just completely. And, and I love when this happens, when now I can go to the studio record and go like, oh, hell yes. I, I get it now. Um, so that show had that effect on me. Uh, several times when we've done our music recommendations, I've given a like blind or one listen recommendation if I love a band. And I know if they just put a record out, then I'll just recommend it. This one had to earn it a little bit more, but saw it live, bought the record at the end of the show. Um, it's, it's great. He's, his wife does his merch um and is like super nice and i don't know i've never met him himself but they just seem like they kind of get it you know mm -hmm. uh so yeah ty siegel first taste and if it's your first taste of ty siegel maybe listen to manipulator and freedom's goblin first and then go to first taste but trust me there's a there's a big payoff in this record if you just play it loud enough
That's good advice for lots of things. Just play it loud enough. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, when you when you blast something, sometimes you're like, oh yeah, that's how it's <laughs> supposed to sound. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm actually gonna book convention here, and I'm not gonna recommend an album, but I'm gonna recommend a live experience. Uh, I would presume that most of our listeners are in the New York metro area, or at least many of them are. If they are, they still have some time to go see David Byrne's American Utopia on Broadway. So Byrne had done this live show when his album, shockingly titled American Utopia, came out a couple years ago. And um, it was a really big hit, and he decided to put it on Broadway. I believe it's 16 weeks, and I believe we are in week two right now, maybe week three. So there is still a fair amount of time to get there and see it. It is um, it is simply one of the most amazing live shows I've ever seen. Uh, the sort of conceit behind the show is he did not want anybody encumbered behind a drum kit or a keyboard. So everyone that's playing is mobile. Uh, so that means there's not one drummer. There's five or six percussionists all playing different things. But they're like marching band style percussions. They're walking around doing it. The keyboard player has like a uh, a harness on that has a keyboard around it and everybody in the band sings, everybody dances to some degree. And, um, it's super simple staging. It's just basically a, almost like a beaded curtain made of like chains, like chain links and just white lights. And it's just, sometimes the lights are brighter than others. And sometimes they're, they're darker. Sometimes they're, focused on the background and then they're focused on the foreground. It's a very, very simple presentation, but because everybody's moving all the time and because there is so much choreography involved, it's a mesmerizing thing to watch. Um, he does a really good mix of talking head stuff and stuff from his solo career. I mean, I think most of us would probably wish you would trade out some of those solo songs for more talking head songs, but you know, I, I can't fault the guy for, uh, for wanting to play his more recent catalog. Um, Specifically, though, a couple of songs that stood out. Uh, Izimbra, which is maybe my favorite Talking Heads song, was just incredible to see. Um, one of his solo songs from his, maybe it's 04 or 05 record called Grown Backwards. The, the first track on that is called Glass, Concrete, and Stone. That's a great song. He does that as part of the show. Um, and he covered, I, I almost don't want to say much about it, because it's so powerful. He covers the Janelle Monet song as part of it. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. One of the most striking live performances I've ever seen was that song, but on a, on a sort of bigger level, the whole show. Just really amazing. And you know, I, I hate to be this guy, but when you're going to see bands and artists that aren't young people anymore, there's always the chance this is going to be the last time they're going to do a tour of this caliber or that their health will allow them to do a tour of this caliber. And David Byrne is still an excellent voice and still a good guitar player and still putting on a hell of a show as a guy who's probably approaching his 70s now. And so take the opportunity if you're in the New York area, go see the show. I can't imagine you being disappointed. Well, I intend to uh, take you up on that advice. <laughs> you really should. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I still have not seen David Byrne perform at all. Oh man, so seeing him in in that context would be that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I would I would highly recommend. It. I I am so enthused about this. 
I went with my cousin on on Friday night. I'm almost thinking of trying to convince my wife to go again before it wraps up. Nice. So that we'll that that is pretty good. Yeah, it's high praise coming from me. So, well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, go to amazingavenue.com for all your mess related needs. Our podcasts are sort of staggering some episodes now. We're not going to do all four shows every week, but we get at least two shows every week. Um, this week you'll get from Complex to Queens. This show and Unformidable. Next week you'll get from Complex to Queens and uh, a pot of their own. And, you know, we'll see what else pops up. I'm hoping to do a bunch more in-conversation shows now that the season's over. We can get some more players in the show, but we'll see how that goes. Um, you can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can get this show from uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. This show is likely found as well. Please rate, review, and subscribe. I know last time I said we were going to do an email show. But then Calibay got fired, and we we're trying to keep the show relatively brief tonight. Although I think we kind of failed at that, but that's okay. Um, so next time, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, your comments, and we'll get to them on the show. And uh, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And uh, until next time, let's go Mets and let's go Rays. Uh. I so I'm the underdog factor there is good, but the Astros are the only team I trust to beat the teams teams I really hate, even <laughs> though enough. they're having a hard time knocking the Rays out. So I kind of selfishly want the Astros to win, just to eliminate the Yankees and potentially the Braves or Nationals if necessary. I could agree with that. So so I mean it would be embarrassing to all those teams that the Rays beat all of them so <laughs> yes if the rays do win no question they are my team out of who's left uh but yeah i did i guess I'm, I'm rooting for the the favorite just for myself sure um so until next time let's not do the rage events yes